will be in Genesis chapter 4. Excuse me, how exciting. Genesis chapter 5. This is our 40th week in this book, and we've made it to... Yeah. Thank you for doing that in front of the entire... This is my help meet, my better half. You don't know this. Her Bible has verses cut out. Um, one of them says something about women keep silence in the church. I don't know, something like that. Well, it just got really funky in here, didn't it? Amen. Preacher, we like the Bible, but not that much of the Bible. All right. All right. I'm sorry. Let's get serious here. Uh, all right. We're going through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. Genesis chapter 5. I believe this is an exciting morning for three reasons. One, we begin a new chapter. And it is, yes, the 40th week in this book. And two, it's everybody's favorite kind of chapter. It's a genealogy. And three, this is an added bonus. We're going to read the entire chapter. You know, the problem when Brother Fur says something is you know it's him, right? <laughs> There's no mistaking that voice. <laughs> uh, I've decided to read the whole chapter today because I want to do an overview of this genealogy before we begin to look at this a little more in detail. And so if you will, please, Genesis chapter 5. Let's read this chapter. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enosh. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalaliel, or Mahalaliel. <laughs> and, and Canaan lived after he begot Mahalaliel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 900 years and 10, and he died. And Mahalaliel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. Or Yahred. And, well, I mean, that's how you would say it. But we have two Jareds in our church, so we're just going to roll with that. And Mahalaliel lived after he begat Jared 830 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalaliel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared lived after, and Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. 
And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 780 and two years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years and he died. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May the Lord bless us this morning. Amen. Amen. When we read this chapter, we are struck with how long people were living. There are many intriguing things we can draw out of this chapter, and we will. And some of these are interesting to know and consider, but they're not going to have a great impact upon your walk today. They're not going to help you with the struggles of life. I know many are facing things, and this isn't going to give you that, man, now that I know people live so long, so I understand that. For example, considering why people live so long isn't going to help you in the battle you're facing. It's not going to help you through the hardships you're going through, but I do feel there, some of these things are worth mentioning. In some ways, I believe it can help you to see the Bible as the authoritative Word of God, which is hopefully going to strengthen your faith in all of God's Word. For example, when we try to understand why people live so long before the flood, it can build our faith in God's, that God's Word is true when uh, it records a worldwide flood, and it can help refute the theory of evolution. Now, we're not doing a deep dive. There's a lot we could get into maybe some other time and place, but um, because this really is worthy of its own series. In the meantime, I hope you will take your own time to study what is known as creation science, uh, which complements the Genesis account, the Genesis creation account, which is under attack. For today, I only want to look at this briefly, and we'll move on to some other thoughts. We have a genealogy here of ten men. And even though Enoch was translated that he should not see death at the age of 365, we find that all these men lived very long lives in comparison to those who lived after the flood. Noah's death isn't recorded in this chapter, but we'll learn in Genesis 9.29 that all of his days were 950 years. Methuselah is the longest living human being on record, living to a ripe old age of 969. And in this genealogies of those who died, Lamech lived the shortest life. He hit the jackpot, 777. (laughs) If we remove Enoch because he is an outlier, then you'll find the average age of this lineage is 912 years. Now, what are we supposed to make of all of this? Those who oppose our Bible say this is absolutely impossible. Man's genetic code, it just won't allow for it, etc. One atheist I read said the lifespans recorded before the flood are, quote, either an ancient translation error, 
or nothing more than a mythological hype to make some person seem older and wiser for theological reasons, end quote. Those who believe the Bible and understand that this earth went through a cataclysmic event during the worldwide flood in Noah's day, that this caused men to begin to live shorter upon the earth. Before the flood, we find this average of 912 years. In Genesis 11, we are given the generations of Shem, the son of Noah, and we see the declining ages of mankind beginning in Genesis 11. Shem, who went on to the ark, he went on to live a total of 600 years. Our Faxad, amen, cool name. Our Faxad lived 438 years. Salah lived 433 years. Eber lived 464 years. Uh, Peleg lived 239 years. Rehu lived 239 years. Serug lived 230 years. Nahor lived 148 years. Terah lived 205 years. Abraham, 175 years. Isaac, 180. Jacob, 147. Joseph, 110. And at that point, lifespans begin to settle into what we find today. By the time we get to the end of King David's life, we read that he died in a good old age, full of days, and he only lived 70 years. Isn't it amazing that by David's lifetime, a good old age is considered 70? How exciting for some of you who are over 70. Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. And in verse 10, we read, The days of our years are threescore and ten, that's seventy, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that's eighty. So on average, our lifespan is only going to be seventy to eighty years. And sure enough, the worldwide average for males is seventy-one years. The worldwide average for females is seventy-three years. And the oldest verifiable life uh, in modern times was a French woman named Jeanne, Jeanne, Jeanne Calment. I don't speak French. She lived 122 years. Get this, born in 1875 and died in 1997. And since we believe the Bible, clearly something happened to this earth which caused our average lifespan to drop from the 900s to an average lifespan of 70 to 80 years. I've already highlighted that something was the Great Flood. And it's important that we try to understand the effects that the Great Flood had upon this earth because it brings validity to God's Word. It refutes the theory of evolution, which, by the way, has destroyed our nation. We'll say more when we get to the flood, but the, the great flood, it, it was worldwide, by the way. It wasn't local. Amen. Noah, build an ark so I can flood right in your little neighborhood. No, Noah, just move. It was a worldwide flood, and it changed this earth. It caused atmospheric changes. It altered the climate of the earth. <gasps> It gave us the fossils for the fossil fuels and they had climate change before all that. Whoa! 
It's almost like climate changes. It altered the hydraulic cycle. It altered geologic features. It may have even caused the earth's tilted axis. And again, we'll say more in, in chapter 6. But how did the flood impact lifespans? Well, as I stated when we looked at how Cain got his wife, you can't look at the world today to find all the answers you want about the world back then. If you do, you look at the average age and you say, we're only living 70, 80. It's genetically impossible for you to live to be 900. Well, the world was different. And so when we read about people living 900 years through the lens of today, we think it's an impossibility. And we even think, who in the world would want to live that long? Right? Because we look at our current rate of decay. But there is an intriguing theory in my mind, which I find compelling enough um, to give to you, and it suggests the atmosphere on the earth was very different before the flood. Genesis 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. A firmament is an expanse. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, underneath the expanse, from the waters which were above the expanse, the firmament, and it was so. And it goes on to say, I think in the next verse there, you can flip over and look. I think it says, and he called the firmament heaven. So there's water, a heaven, more water. Heaven being the sky, the atmosphere around this earth in that particular case. So the idea is that there was some form of watery canopy surrounding the earth. Now, I discovered as I was studying for this this week that a lot of creation scientists have now abandoned this theory. I could get into reasons why. I'm not going to, but just stick with the old King James and you'll be fine. And so it, it was this watery canopy that they believe was let loose during the flood. Now, this is a theory. We have nothing in the Bible that says this dogmatically. And I, and I stress it's a theory because of Psalm 148. Uh, I believe it's verse 4 over there. It says, Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that are above the heavens. Well, that was written after the flood. If there was some kind of watery canopy surrounding the earth, and it is believed, it would have caused the earth to be kind of like a hyperbaric chamber. It would have caused higher and pure oxygen levels, and this canopy would have also acted as a protective can canopy against radioactive, uh, harmful radiation. Sorry. Lord, help me. Hyperbaric chambers are used today. They're used to fill the blood with enough oxygen to repair tissues and to restore body functions. Uh, some of you may remember baby Jessica. Remember her back there in the 80s? Uh, 1987, she fell in a well. I believe she was maybe one and a half, somewhere in there. And she fell down into a well, a very small well. And she ended up, when she fell, one of her legs was caught up above her head. And she couldn't move for 58 and a half hours until they rescued her. This was huge news for those of you that know what I'm talking about. And, and that's why it came to my mind. And, and so they finally got her out. And the doctors were thinking, we're going to have to amputate her foot. Because there's been no blood flow making it there for 58 hours. So they decided to try hyperbaric therapy in an attempt to avoid fuel, full amputation. Well, in the end, surgeons only had to amputate a toe, and that was because of gangrene that had set in. Um, other than that, she came through fine. She's alive today. If, if this water canopy theory holds water, 
Man, I crack me up when I'm studying. Y'all just ain't appreciating all the hard work I put in this. If this water canopy theory holds water, then this would help to explain how people lived so long and had greater health. And it would also help to explain why reptiles grew so large. People say, well, dinosaurs and humans never lived together. That's not true. There's a park in Texas. You can see dinosaur footprints right next to man footprints. And this would also help to explain why after the flood, lifespans began to drop. Now, you can do with all that as you see fit. Amen? But that's, that in a nutshell is what it is. The answer could be as simple as the decay of mankind genetically because of sin. I'm sure that's part of it. But we, we cannot deny that before the flood, people were living longer. After the flood, they started living a lot less, uh, less longer. Something definitely happened to change the average lifespans from over 900 to less than 100. But get this. Even these long lifespans were an abbreviation of God's original design. Isn't that something? Can you imagine walking down the road and seeing great-grandpa Adam? 6,000 years of age. Well, you wouldn't want to see him in his sinful condition. Well, you talk about miserable. And that's why God was very good to us when He removed us from the Garden of Eden. And He said, look, now that they know good and evil, we got to kick them out because if they reach forth and take of the tree of life, they'll live forever in an unregenerate condition, and that would be misery. I mean, Pastor DeGarmo, he's already miserable, and he's in his 40s. Imagine if he lived to 5,000, right? His messages would be so boring. So with sin came death, right? We covered all that. God was merciful in, in not allowing them to eat of the tree of life after that point. And, and this brings us to one of the other things we notice from this genealogy in this chapter. And it's unique to this genealogy only. You're not going to find this in any other genealogy. And we read the phrase eight times, and he died. Nowhere else does it say that in a genealogical listing. And in verse, uh, in a sense, verse 5, it ranks up there, the end of it, ranks up there as one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Look at what verse, verse 5 says. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. This isn't how it was supposed to be. This isn't how God had designed it to be. But this is the reality of sin in our life. It destroys and it kills. And with the exception of Enoch, who was translated that he wouldn't die, and Noah's death isn't mentioned here, but like I said, it's mentioned later on. And it says the exact same phrase. Um, we, We have this unique genealogy for two reasons. One, it verifies the certainty of God's Word that he said back there in the Garden of Eden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The second reason we keep reading this phrase is because it shows us the certainty of death. Welcome to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. You're going to die. We all descended from Adam. We have inherited his sin nature, and as such, it's appointed unto us to die. 
Unless the, the Lord comes back, that's our only chance of escaping a physical death. And so as the Lord tarries His return, you can expect the last thing that will be said of you, and He died. Now, I thought maybe that's how I should start ending funerals. You know? Bill was a great guy, and he died. No, we don't like that. Job said in Job 30, 23, For I know that thou wilt bring me to death. Psalm 89, 48, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Ecclesiastes 9, 5 says, For the living know that they shall die. Why does it have to be this way? It's because of sin. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Ezekiel 18.4, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And therefore, we read this phrase, And He died throughout this chapter. We're being reminded over and over again that the wages of sin is indeed death. We are all going to die because we are sinners. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And as it is appointed unto men wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And so we learn that it is not only appointed for us to die, but we are going to stand before God in judgment when we do. And the question is, have you made your arrangements for that day? You can try to deny the reality of God's coming judgment if you want, but surely no one here is foolish enough to deny the certainty of their death. We see it. It's observable. So are you prepared for that day? Now if sin is the cause of death, and it is, then it stands to reason that it is our sin that needs to be dealt with if we hope to inherit eternal life once this physical life is over. The problem is, we who are sinners are not righteous enough in of ourselves to save ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us four times, no, not one is righteous. The Bible says we've all gone astray. So if we are left to our own selves, we are in a bad way. And, and we are faced with a major problem when it comes to our death. Without someone intervening on our behalf, we are justly headed for a devil's hell. Enter God into the picture. Whoop! God knew we could never be righteous enough to save ourselves. And so God acted on our behalf. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. 
Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does that mean? He's the payment. He's the currency that God accepts. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Christ died for us, it enabled whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord to experience the miracle of the new birth, whereby Christ's righteousness is now placed upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, God, hath made Him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Titus 3, 4 and 6. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Get this now. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We are not righteous in our carnality, in your flesh, in who you are, in that which you see in the mirror. And any righteousness we may think we have could never be good enough to save us. God said, all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Therefore, we needed one greater than us. And since all humanity is fallen, we needed God to intervene. Romans 5, 17-21, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ dealt with our sin on the cross. He paid the wages of our sin through His precious blood. His resurrection sealed the deal. For all who will place their faith in Him alone for salvation. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57, The sting of death is sin, The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has made every provision for you to be saved. 
You just have to place your faith and trust in Christ. God came down to man in the person of Jesus Christ in order that we might be saved, those who are humble enough to admit they need a Savior and that they are hopeless without Him. Jesus said, if you'll call on me, I'll save you. This brings me to the last thing I want to share with you from this genealogy. And from this point, we're going to use the screen. (gasps) You're not fundamental anymore. That was four or five of you. We have ten names given to us in this chapter. Ten patriarchs, amen? Adam to Noah. Is there a message in the meaning of their names? I know some don't like this, some even refute it but I currently see room for this to be a possibility, and I want to share it with you today. I find it compelling enough to give to you. You can decide for yourself if it's worth anything. You may see some slight variations in these meanings, but most won't change the overall potential message that is found here in these first ten patriarchs. Adam, it means man. Seth means appointed. Remember, his name was mentioned in the verse. Uh, Eve said, For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Enos means mortal. Canaan means fixed. If you really study this, it it means like a dwelling. It means a nest, a dwelling. Mahalaleo, praise of God. Some might say the strength of God. Jared, descend, to bring down, to come down, to go down the stairs, that kind of thing. Enoch, remember we said this before, it means dedicated. But what's interesting about Enoch Uh, it's with the sense of teaching. Remember, Canaan was initiating a new way of life. He was teaching a new way of life. The the root word is the same in Psalm 22, 6, where we read, train up a child. And that's why some say his name means teaching. Methuselah is a man of a dart. (laughs) Cool, right? Um, It it has the idea of something that will shoot. In fact, I think the Strong says, uh, like a missile. And so it's something that shoots forth. Methuselah was a prophetic name. We don't have time to get into all this today. We'll say more when we, when we get to the flood. It was a prophetic name to indicate the coming flood after his death. And so many see his name as meaning his death shall send forth. Something's going to happen at this man's death. And that something is the flood. After Methuselah died, when the flood began, we read in Genesis 7:11, and all the fountains of the great deep uh, were... <laughs> Did I miss a word there? All, oh, no, okay. All the fountains of the great deep broken up and, and, all, and the windows of heaven were open. I'm not sure if I typed that or copied and pasted or if I'm just seeing things. That's not making sense to me. But you get the idea, right? And so the waters shot forth like a dart at this man's death. Lamech, remember, it means lowly, um, humiliating, something like that. Um, and that's what Cain, Cain's line was. And so we're going to look at this from a lowly perspective. And Noah means rest. Now... This is what it would look like. You have the ten patriarchs on the left, the meaning of their names on the right. Put all this together. You read, man appointed, mortal dwelling, praise of God, descend, teaching, his death shall send forth, lowly rest. Well, that doesn't help a whole lot. Put a couple words in there to make a sentence grammatically correct. We arrive to something like this. 
Man is appointed a mortal dwelling, but the praise of God shall descend, teaching that his death shall send forth to the lowly rest. Now, isn't that something? Uh, this is interesting, but I admittedly don't know Hebrew that well. Amen. I know that I should be saying Lachmech, you know, Enoch. Um, but I don't know Hebrew. I mean, I know how to hawk a loogie, but... Uh, uh, those who are far wiser than me, there's a couple of names in there. They say they're very difficult to define. Um, and so that's what they came up with, though. Uh, is there a message there? I don't know. Possibly. You can, defy, you can decide for yourself. Uh, either way, it, it doesn't change the fact that man is a mortal being dwelling upon this earth. Man needed God to descend to us in order to save us from our sins. And Jesus' death does bring the humble rest. And so you can do with that as you see fit, but I thought it was interesting enough to at least share with you. In closing, you will die. And you will be judged. Believers will be judged for their works, whether they were good or bad. Unbelievers will be judged according to their sin and ultimately cast into the lake of fire. Because when you die, your fate has already been sealed. There is no purgatory. There are no indulgences that can be bought to save you. The reason believers, you say, well, why are believers only going to have their works judged, but sinners are going to have their sins judged? We're not going to have our sins judged or incur the wrath of God because Christ took our judgment. Christ took God's wrath. In our place, when he shed his blood and he died upon the cross. So have you made your arrangements for that day? By placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. The one who came down to mortal man and the one whose death can bring peace and rest to those who are humble enough to receive his free gift of salvation. If you are still outside of Christ, and you are lost in your sins, we invite you this morning to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray.